Hey, it's Caitlin, Molly, and Michael. And we are back again in part two talking about STEMIs and... What do you do about them? Yeah. yeah. Thank you for coming back. We were now going to cut to the actual recording. We hope you enjoy. Bye. Bye. So we, we probably suspect an MI, right? Yes. Yeah, sure. Well, we need, we need to rule it out. Mm. So are we going to do the full Tally and O'Connor's cardiology physician exam on him now? No. We still got to yeah. rule out all our life-threatening differentials. Yeah. Like while MI went to the top of the list, which is also life-threatening, we still got to do classic tests to rule out all cool. our differentials. So what, what kind of physical exam things are we going to want to do on this guy? Like quickly. What's I mean, the first thing we'd probably do? Have a look at him. <laughs> we would invent. You do do an examination before bloods because oh. there are some things that you need to rule out. Um, even if he is having an MI, like some complications of that MI that you do need to rule out and can rule out from a good exam. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're right. Observe. Um, does he look pretty cooked or not? Is he sweaty, diaphoretic? Pale, not yeah. pale. What else are you really looking for in that observation? What would you look for in his legs and his neck? If the JVP is elevated yeah. and look at the legs for swelling and signs of edema. Yeah, because what are they both signs of? The heart is failing. Yeah, and if he's gone into, if he's had like a massive MI, you can go into an acute heart failure, especially if he's got anything, mm. any kind of previous cardiac yeah. problems that could and precipitate then cardiogenic that. cardiogenic shock. Yeah, and you'd want to get your vitals straight away to see, basically to rule out whether this guy is in cardiogenic shock or not. Um the other things you can kind of do quickly is sort of like rule out some of those other causes a bit more like auscultate, make sure he doesn't have a massive PE. Um, sorry, pneumothorax, you can't auscultate to rule out a PE. Um, and then we also need to screen for neurological exam to make sure that there's no um, bleeding in the brain because that can then go on to affect his treatment later on. So you do Why need to make sure. Why would you get bleeding in the brain in a presentation that looks like a STEMI? You don't, <laughs> classically. <laughs> like, it's not common, but it is a contraindication to thrombolysis. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. like, if they do have any kind of neurological impairment, you immediately cannot thrombolyze them. So you do need to kind of establish that they're neurologically intact. Okay. And also listen for murmurs as well. Because one of the big problems you can get um, from an MI is a papillary muscle rupture. So if they've got a uh, a pan-systolic murmur, louder, you know, radiating to the axilla, then you can start thinking about that mitral regurge from that. Mm. Oh, I just remember with the JVP too, elevated in heart failure, but also a sign of cardiac tamponade. Yeah. Because you have that pressure backed up yeah. as well. So that'll be up as well for that. I like Ooh. that nugget. <laughs> Are there any, any other physical exam findings we think could be good? Um, I think if you have unilateral decreased breath sounds, it's a sign of a pneumothorax. Tracheal deviation as well. Ooh, could yeah. look and see that. Um, and maybe, you know, you could probably take their pulse, check for it's regular, because mm-hmm. any arrhythmias can, pers- can happen from MIS as well. I think you should always also do a quick, like, uh, pneumonia early screen like yeah. always ask those questions of like have you recently been been ill because you know myocarditis is a weird and wonderful thing yeah so okay so the exam is done we did it you want to do it really quickly and basically in all of these cases where someone really seems like they do have an mi we're going to have to crack on and do some investigations pretty quickly so what investigations will we be thinking 
first up ECG within 10 minutes. Yeah, that's that's where the, the okay. ECG really is where the money is for diagnosing how severe an MI is. So what are we looking for on the ECG? <laughs> ST elevation. Yeah. It's in the name. Um, if you... If you don't have ST elevation, will you still see ECG changes for other acute coronary syndromes? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what would you see classically for an NSTEMI? It's depression. a bit more diffuse and you have the ST depression. Cool. Yep. Um, I don't know if you get anything in angina. You In angina, it is ischemia, so you may see T-wave inversion. Okay. Um, but... I think it's it's kind of different for everyone. Yeah. So, another point with the ST elevation, you, like if you just see ST elevation in random leads, that's not the definition that you need to fit for the criteria. You need to have ST elevation in contiguous leads. So that means leads that correspond to a certain area of the heart. So for an inferior MI, that's two three AVF. For an anterior MI, that's any of V1 to 6, I think. Yes. Oh, God, no. Anterior yeah. MI? Yeah, no. So, um, oh, my God. So, I think uh, you're, you have high laterals and laterals. But what well. would an anterior MI be? So, it would probably be like 1 to 4 or 1 to 3. And a lateral MI would be... Like rest. definitely five and six. Yeah. Because remember, like the actual yeah, nodes okay. themselves are yeah. literally on your mid-axillary yeah. line. I would say we're not going to go too much into detail yeah. for ECGs because I feel like that's a whole other thing and a very visual thing. So I reckon like, but if you want to, I guess in terms of location, just Google like ECG locations. There's a little mnemonic like big lie, little lie, ass up, all down. Google it and you'll like see which lead kind of yeah. corresponds to which orientation yeah. and have a bit of a guess of like where the MI is as to where the ST elevation is seen on those areas. Yeah, I was actually literally trying to think <laughs> of that mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't do it. But essentially... Big take-home message is that you need to have them in three contiguous leads. So what we're talking about, the groupings, not the fact that one, two, and three look the same. Um, Well, that may happen. But yes, so the big money is if it's just in one lead and you can't see anywhere else, then probably don't worry about it. Or if it's in all the leads, it's probably pericarditis. Mm. There's a little bit there. Anyway, what is our big test for an MI? What's the main one? Biomarkers specifically troponin troponins yes so that is a marker of cardiac damage it's pretty it's very specific for the heart um and yeah it's up there's a lot of things that can put your troponin up so if you have heart failure your troponins can go up if you have uh atrial fibrillation your troponins can go up as well but they're only going to go up a little bit right they'll be like in the hundreds when your troponins start getting into the thousands that's when you're in ACS territory. Um, what's important as well is that you need to take serial troponins. So one troponin is not enough to rule out an MI. You need to keep someone in hospital. And I think it's like... It's two hourly intervals. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, also, though, if it is above the reference range, which is at least for a high sensitivity troponin, less than two is like considered normal if it's anything above you have to do another one and michael just said about the thousands i have not seen that very often 
But STEMIs compared to non-STEMIs are rare. So mm. STEMIs themselves will have Massive. probably a higher yeah. troponin than an N-STEMI, yeah. right? But just be suspicious if it's high. So the key is do multiple, really. Like at the cereal. Mm-hmm. And then another marker you can do is um, creatinine kinase MB. That isn't really used in EDs as much. That's just more to check for reinfarcts. So that's the money maker for that because your troponins will stay up for quite a while after you've had an MI. Okay. Do we do B natriuretic peptides? BNP is heart failure more than anything. Mm. Yeah. All right. So what would it be another test we might be able to do to potentially rule out a differential? So we were talking before about PEs, right? So you have a blood clot. So you may want to and you can. Maybe not in this particular situation, but if you had a chest pain, unknown cause, you could do D-dimer, and that's like really good for ruling out a clot if it's negative. If it's positive, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it might be positive in STEMI. It does not mean that you've got a PE if you've got a positive D-dimer necessarily, but it's great if it's negative, rule out a PE. Um, but we might, may not do it in this situation. It's more for like more ambiguous situations um, where we might be more, more worried about PE. Um, all right. And then what else can we do? We can do a full blood count. Mm-hmm. So you want to see hemoglobin. That they, you, know, you don't have a, anemia on top of this. It's probably making it worse. Mm. Um, you get your platelets, you know. Just platelets for platelets' sake. <laughs> JK, there's always a reason. I just don't know right now. Um, Y cell count, always really good to look at. You don't want it to be high because if it's high, that's a sign of inflammation and infection, right? So, you know, you're always checking everything to see, is this what you expect or is this, you know, is there another explanation for this? Yeah. And if it was like this one, this scenario is very classic, mm. like STEMI. But I guess if you're thinking, if it's a bit more ambiguous as well, like maybe they have, like you said, it shows anemia and you, they could have like symptomatic anemia with like chest pain. Like there's very rare scenarios, but, you know, the blood count could reveal what's going wrong. Mm. And also like, actually, this whole thing is probably more like any MI can present like this not just a STEMI but a non-STEMI as well like they kind of all like I would actually guess the severity of the pain might be a little bit increased in STEMIs and like more like oh it's a little bit of a discomfort in non-STEMIs but just like keep in mind that when we talk about STEMIs we're kind of we're talking about MIs yeah usually (laughs) in general better terminology (laughs) than saying STEMI all the time um, but yeah, so that's that. And then, <clears throat> pardon me, you always want to order um, a serum biochemistry. So you're looking at your electrolytes, seeing what they're doing, especially like when someone has a STEMI, they're at quite high risk for um, VT. So the arrhythmias, especially because when, you know, you think about MIs and the death of cardiac muscle, usually you forget about the fact that the conduction pathway is within that muscle, right? So depending on where the infarct is, it can have quite a detrimental effect on the conduction system and therefore like going into quite a bad rhythm. So you need to keep an eye out there what the electrolytes are doing um, that might predispose you, especially potassium. 
Um, and then you've got obviously your kidney function and your liver function. Always got to check those, you know, see if something other things are going on. Um, don't forget about glucose, guys. Never forget about glucose. Also can compound. As we know, diabetes can have a vascular effect, can make this worse. So always thinking. All right. So quick summary of the investigations. ECG within the first 10 minutes. You do biomarkers like troponins. You could do a D-dimer. You've got your full blood count. And then those ones Molly said. So glucose. What else is there? <laughs> electrolytes. Um, electrolytes. Kidney function. Kidney function. And liver and function. Liver function. <laughs> That's all included in the biochemistry usually, I think. Awesome. So um, I guess we'll move on now to our initial management of this patient. So, Michael, I know you have a mnemonic you like for this one. Yeah. So um, a good one that I got taught for an undifferentiated chest pain, if you haven't worked it out yet, is Mona. So a lot of the times they'll actually start this um, before they've started doing a lot of the investigations and stuff. So that's morphine, oxygen, nitrates, and aspirin. Um, Generally, I think the oxygen and the aspirin will always be given. Nitrates, there's a few cases you can't give it. Um, So if anyone's had Viagra recently, you can't do it. Um, or if it seems like they're in like a fluid overloaded state or they've had an inferior infarct, you can't give nitrates as well. Um, and morphine guidelines vary on whether you give it or not. But if someone's in a lot of pain, then that can obviously help. Um, another kind of mnemonic that goes along with that is Monash ABC. Um, so if anyone went to Monash for med school, that's where it came from. And that's literally just your Mona. Um, plus statins, which can be given sometimes. I think a high-dose statin for an end-stemmy. Wait, did you say Mona ABC? Oh, sorry, Monash. Oh, Monash. Monash, yeah. It's the S. Um, H H is heparin, but I don't know how often that's given or whether that is given still. Um, I'm just flipping through a page to check right now. Um, Yep. So there is strong supportive evidence for the widespread routine use of heparin in ACS. So that can be given. Um, And then you've also got your ABC. So A is aspirin again, because I was lazy. B is for beta blockers, which can be given, but not um, if they seem like they are in cardiogenic shock or heart failure at the time. Um, And the final one is your clopidogrel or your other, or ticagrelor. So other platelet inhibitors can also be given. That sounds like a little dog clopping <laughs> along the street. Clopidogrel. <laughs> Clopidogrel. Okay, awesome. And also, one random point, because I always have trouble. Like, I, mnemonics are great, but sometimes it's hard to remember the mnemonic. Like, you're like, yeah. what's that one for the chest pain? So, this is very stupid, but I imagine, like, some old guy going up and seeing the Mona Lisa for the first time in his life and he's like oh my god this is so crazy and he like his hand goes to his chest and he's like oh my gosh and then he's having chest pain right (laughs) so I guess that reminds me of Mona to get going for remembering the mnemonic makes sense I think just to clarify as well that Monash is for an end STEMI so that that is like absolutely not the treatment for a STEMI um you can still do the Mona but 
the the money for a STEMI is that you need to reproduce the heart. Yeah. You know, like we said, like time is muscle. So actually, this is a good little nugget. So this is more of like a practical um, a bit of information. So. You know, when someone experiences chest pain, you either go to the hospital, you wait to see the GP, <laughs> or, bad by the way, or you call the ambulance. So our Vincent here has just been driven by his wife to the ED, which is why he's having all these routine investigations first. But if QAS were called, that's because we're in Queensland actually, so ambulance, and the ambulance would do a ECG on route. And if there is ST elevation on that ECG, they will actually go straight to a cath lab. So that, yeah. If they can, If they can. Obviously, if they're in a rural remote area, like you can't do that. But like, you know, for us, we're in a metro area. um, So, and they have the availability of that. They will actually call the cath lab up and be like, hey, this is what we've got. Please get ready for us. And they will make room for that STEMI to come through because as Michael said, you have to reperfuse the heart and you can't really give any medications really to fix that. You have to manually open it up with a stent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to take us through that pathway, that opening up the heart again pathway? Me? Or anyone? Oh, yeah, I can. Do you mean as in what a stent is? No, just like the the um pathway. ACS pathway? Yeah. Oh, let's go. Okay. So, um, obviously, if you're not in an area that you can get to a cath lab, you're going to want thrombolysis. Depends um, how far away you are. If they can... If, That's very true. Yeah. If you can fly there in time, you can get Medivac to a cath lab in time. Yeah. So communication can, is key here. Yeah. Like before you actually administer anything, you want to talk to your superiors and see what the options are and what people suggest. Um, but basically when you're thinking about, okay, do I go with a stent or do I go with thrombolysis? So you're thinking about the time. So has it been longer than 30 minutes? And less than 12 hours. It has to be within that time frame to be able to even consider thrombolysis. So Michael was saying earlier, if they've had this thing for four days, it's probably not a STEMI anyways, but in case it was, you wouldn't be able to give that thrombolysis. Um, And they've also have been confirmed that they cannot give that um, stent or have um, a cath lab investigation. Um, and you definitely have ST elevation on the ECG in at least two contiguous leads. And we were saying it's three before, so there's two on here. Oh. My bad. Um, and it also says if you don't have ST elevation, you may have a new left bundle branch block, and that can also signify death of myocardial tissue, as I was saying before because it's actually interfering with the conduction of the... My words are escaping me today. <laughs> of the heart? <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, the, the conduction system. The conduction system of the heart, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, and then you also have to have, obviously, the history 
needs to de- be suspicious of a myocardial infarction, I guess, but you've got to make sure. And then you've got to rule out your contraindications. So if they're actively bleeding, like Michael said before, like you've got to rule out that they have, that they don't have a bleed in the brain because obviously you don't want to give them a thrombolytic that's going to make them bleed even more. That's going to be uncontrollable. Um, suspected aortic dissection, same thing. They're going to bleed even more. Not what you want to do. Um, significant closed head or facial trauma within three months. It's going to be very delicate. It's going to be trying to, it's best to heal and you do not want to make that any harder. Um, and prior intracranial hemorrhage. There we go. Um, so these are absolute, by the way. Sorry, I didn't start with that. So obviously prior history means it's more likely to happen again in this particular person. So not great. Known cerebral vascular lesion and known malignant intracranial neoplasm. So then you have your relative ones. If they're on anticoagulants, including NOACs, um, so that's your newer ones. Um, non-compressible vascular puncture, recent major surgery, traumatic or prolonged CPR. There's a whole list. You want me to keep going? Nah, I reckon it's good. I think <laughs> you just generally remember the concept of like, are they at risk of bleeding with your thrombolysis? You don't want to make a bleed worse. And so the absolute contraindications are like kind of the life-threatening bleeds if you make them worse. And then the relative tend to be slightly more chill, but you don't really want to do it. So, yeah. So obviously if you're actively bleeding, don't thrombolyze. Um, if you've previously, previously had like a bleed in your brain, so you've got a, an intracranial hemorrhage, like don't, don't do that. Um, or if you've got a suspected aortic dissection, you don't want to do that either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I think... Did you go into the timing of it? Yeah. Cool. Where were you? Sorry. Off in I was, La La Land. I was reading the other, like, the other textbook in front of me for timing, but that was... Old yeah, you. I always remember that being the big one. It's like, if you can get them somewhere within 90 minutes, then they can get a stent. Otherwise, you need to start thinking about thrombolysis yeah i reckon yeah that's the main takeaway i think you can remember (laughs) um awesome so i guess quick update on vincent we whacked an ecg on him we got his troponins troponins very high ecg st elevation it's all very classic here very straightforward um so what we've done is we've given vincent some nitrates aspirin morphine and oxygen we're following our mona um and then he was whisk off, whisked off to the cath lab for reperfusion. Cool. Happy ending. Great. So I guess let's quickly summarize um, everything so far. So quickly, got to remember those chest pain differentials. So in an emergency, you don't want to forget about these. So we've got MI, cardiac tamponade, pulmonary embolism, tension pneumothorax, perforated esophagus and aortic dissection and you remember to differentiate them you're thinking about cardiac pain which is more central tight heavy radiates to arm and jaw pleural pain which is sharp more an inspiration more vascular pain which is quite sudden radiates to back so you're thinking aortic dissection for that one or ruptured esophagus kind of pain which tends to be severe retrosternal and you might have a lot of vomiting and nausea just before it And then obviously there's the more chill type of GIT pain, which is more like associated with meals, um, less sudden and severe. But yeah, 
Um, thinking about epidemiology of a STEMI, we think old dude who might have diabetes or hypertension and smokes a lot, just got all those cardiac risk factors. Um, a STEMI, clot in the heart, no blood flow. Um, and then end STEMI, reduced blood flow to the heart overall. Um, and then we got symptoms of the STEMI, as we talked about before, central chest pain, radiating to the arms, you feel stressed, impending sense of doom, might be nauseous, have palpitations and all that other stuff. Um, someone else want to quickly summarise the typical management of a STEMI? No, you. <laughs> Sorry, just had an eyebrow I, battle. I guess the most important thing is just reperfuse the heart. Yeah. So remember your Mona if you're on differentiated chest pain and then if you see ST elevation, you really need to start getting them to a cath lab if you can or making sure you can check off those contraindications and get this person thrombolysis if they need it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Those other tests you can do, you can do some bloods, you could potentially do a D-dimer, um, you can do your troponins, which is important. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I feel like I didn't write an outcome for Vincent, but uh, we'll make it up now. Vincent is happily refused and from his hospital bed on his phone catches up on the end of Formula One, which he was incredibly invested in. And his wife says, I told you so all day long. Yeah. Well, I um, always remember this as well, but he can't have sex for six months or six weeks. Six months? Six months. It's like si- it's six weeks or six months. I think it's I think. six weeks. Yeah. Although, is that, is that not Takatsubo? No. It's it's just the strain on the heart. You can get an MI wall. You can get a ventricular wall rupture because oh. you've scarred it over. So, oh. yeah. Um, here's also a little tidbit I feel like we didn't say. We're using stent. Stent is a little bit of a layman's term. If you want to impress some people, um, call it PCI, and that's a percutaneous coronary intervention. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. It's a very fancy word for a stent. <laughs> Ooh, uh, another random thing is what's the ECG change you have post MI? Deep Q waves. Deep Q waves, yeah. Mm. Cool. All right. Cool. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks so Bye. much. Bye. We are Australian medical students and this podcast is not a substitute for formal medical education or actual medical advice. This information was mainly sourced from life in the fast lane and up to date, but this is only for educational purposes. We have no conflicts of interest and any resemblance to real cases are purely coincidence.